and like our first thought was like, okay, let's blacklist these fuckers. But then we said, okay, why should we blacklist them if we are making a lot of money just because of the ECPM that they are giving us because their CPI bid is like really, really strong. And at the end of the day, like our users are making them money. So we analyzed this, uh, this ratio and realized that it was actually profitable for us, letting them advertise. Hey everyone, welcome to the Mobile User Acquisition Show. In the Mobile User Acquisition Show, we talk about how to use mobile user acquisition strategies to grow your app quickly and capital efficiently. The Mobile User Acquisition Show is presented by me, Shamant Rao, mobile growth leader and founder and CEO of the mobile growth consulting firm, Rocketship HQ. Each episode includes strategies, tips and pointers from the leading edge of mobile user acquisition that you can use to unlock tremendous growth for your app in a sustainable and capital-efficient manner. Our guest today is Jorge Ganga, the CMO at Ego Games and founder at Kaizen Internet. In today's episode, we dive into an aspect of mobile growth that seems to have defied complete automation, ad monetization. We look at how ad monetization works under the hood and understand why manual waterfall optimization can often outperform completely automated optimization. We explore other nuances and facets of ad monetization. Specifically, we get into what waterfalls are, how waterfalls are optimized, and why this can be so crucial to the ad monetization strategy for any app. Oftentimes, Waterfall optimization can drive as much as 30% plus improvements in Optow, and this can oftentimes break open a game or app's monetization strategy. All of this and more are details that I'm thrilled to get into in this episode. I'm very excited to welcome Jorge Kanga to the Mobile User Acquisition Show. Jorge, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Saman, for having me. It's been a long time since we first discussed it, and yeah. thankfully, we made it. We did indeed, and you're certainly being recommended by quite a few people, so this has been exciting to have you. Also, I, we spoke a while ago, and I was definitely very, very impressed by the sheer breadth of work you've done, so I'm definitely excited to dive into one theme and topic that really, really is an area of particular expertise for you, ad monetization. And we're going to talk about how app developers can and should optimize their ad monetization stack. Right? Uh, let's just start off. Can you talk to us about what is mediation and why is this important to an app developer? Yes, so hopefully this uh, may sound like familiar to most of the app developers listening to the show. I hope it is. But an app mediation is basically a piece of software that mobile app developers integrate within their portfolio of games or apps. And it is uh, used to manage and optimize all the ad inventory by creating like a competitive environment where all the yeah. ad networks or supply partners fight, compete for right. impressions in order to serve their advertisers' campaigns. So this fact of competition 
creates like an extra revenue for the publishers because since like in any in a kind of competitive market when there is more agents trying yeah. to like to get something the price goes up yeah no that makes sense and this is perhaps a beginner question as somebody who's seen ad monetization from the outside i'm curious the way you describe mediation how does it differ from an sdk how does it differ from a programmatic exchange okay mediation could have a programmatic uh, exchange on it but the thing is that nowadays the the programmatic exchange in, in mobile apps is not as developed as in the web there's like some people trying it and yeah. i think the industry is evolving towards the programmatic since it's like less hassle for marketers and app developers like to set up and it is said to have best results but the thing is that the difference between a programmatic ad exchange and a mediation is how the ad impression is served. So in a programmatic ad exchange, theoretically, it should be like uh, all the supply partners uh, at the same level, and then the ad request by a user comes in. So all the partners received like the uh, the request. So they say, do you want to bid for this user? Uh, in this right. format, in this country, blah, blah, blah. And they say, yes, this is my bid. Yes, this is my bid. Yes, this is my bid. So the system takes in real time the bid yeah. that it's more profitable for the publisher. Right. But uh, in the mobile app industry, is not the case because nobody is doing it right or yeah. has, hasn't like a perfect system. So right now, what normally what publishers do is have all their supply partners integrated within a waterfall and they have like uh, ordered like the different partners uh, depending on the country, depending on the ad format and depending on the nature of the game, uh, several parameters and they have it ordered like on a a waterfall. So first, second, third and only like when there's like a request from a user, the first partner gets the uh, gets the request and if they don't like it, it comes to the second and comes to the yeah. third. So it's kind of this waterfall. Right, right. And that's why the term waterfall, that's how it works. Thank you for explaining very simply how that's different from an exchange. And to the other part of my question, how is this different from an SDK? Well, both are an SDK because SDK right. is like a software development kit. So right. any kind of uh, piece of code that you integrate within your right. app, uh, could be called an um, SDK or API, but uh, normally it is through an SDK. So both like a programmatic ad exchange or a programmatic environment like header bidding uh, could be through an SDK and your ad mediation it is from an SDK as well. The sure. um, the only thing is that within the ad mediation and the current situation uh, for most of the publishers, uh, you have like uh, adapters for this SDK where all the networks um, are integrated. So if you have iron source mediation and you want to integrate uploading, then you need to integrate like an extra piece of code for uploading right. to get into that mediation and so forth for the rest of the networks. Right. So if you have a mediation layer, you need to add an adapter, but you don't necessarily need to add five or six SDKs separately. No, you can actually choose and it is recommended to have like a wide variety of partners. Uh, There's like a lot of documents where they list like who is the best for this format in this country. So depending on where do you have the traffic from, uh, you should integrate one or another. Um, I would say you need to integrate at least five, six partners to have like this competitive environment. So if you have a mediation and only have two partners, makes less sense. 
So you would need to integrate these these adapters for all the networks that you want to plug in. Right. So you, you want to have one mediation layer and five to six adapters or five to six supply sources that exactly. plug into the mediation layer so that the mediation layer can actually prioritize five or six ad networks, programmatic exchanges, depending on the geo, depending on the priorities as may be set in the waterfall. Exactly. Right. And you briefly described what a waterfall is and you're, uh, you know, you're like, look, that's how you prioritize, let's just say different placements that could be interstitials, rewarded video, whatnot, different countries, different monetization levels. Yep. Why is it important to manually prioritize this? Why cannot this be done algorithmically? Like, you know, you described how the programmatic world works. Why is it that it cannot be done algorithmically? Yeah, I mean, it could potentially be done algorithmically. The thing is that not all the partners are prepared for this algorithm or algorithm buying. So, like I said, there's no, the only logic behind it is the technical capability of the supply sources. But it is important now that we don't have this header bidding like working full. We need to like to take advantage of the waterfall because it has like a direct impact in, in the revenues. The fact of not only selecting uh, who comes first and second, you need to like to get a little bit deeper and try to like to set up some floors, meaning that target ECPM prices for each network that you can actually have several ones uh, per ad network or per supply source because it is proven to increase the revenues of the publishers just by like a 30%. So like the main difference or the main advantage of using an ad mediation and having a waterfall is that you can get like or see a 30% increase in the revenues just by setting an ad mediation with manual priorities. But if you want to get like uh, deeper into the ad monetization world, it is recommended to set ECPM targets. So yeah. these ECPM targets are actually a target that you set to the to the ad network that they need to, to hit. Otherwise, the the request goes to the third or the second on, on so forth partner. So in this way, you can get also like a plus 30% plus 25% uplift yeah. compared to having a normal mediation with a manual ordering without any CPM floors. That's the kind of the smart way to get away with uh, ad monetization these days. Right, so just so I understand, if you set an ECPM floor, you will get no impressions that are below this ECPM level. Yep. And if you get a guarantee that, okay, let's say you set an ECPM floor of 10, you get a guarantee that every impression you get is over $10, which is the advantage over just having one partner or without a mediation, you could get below 10, about 10, right? And the advantage of having a waterfall with a minimum ECPM is just getting guaranteed inventory. Yeah, exactly. So it is because it's a way of forcing uh, the supply partners to right. like to give you what you want. Because if you only have one partner, they can give you whatever they want, the first campaign, right. whatever. But if, if you force them to hit a target, I mean, they can or cannot, but right. if they hit it, it's more revenue for you usually right. than having in, in auto. And if you repeat this process with all the partners, you are maximizing in this way the revenue that you can get from a single ad impression. Right. And so you're like, first, 
place in the waterfall? Is that the right terminology to use? Yes, like the first call. The first call in the waterfall has the highest CCPM, get X number of impressions. The second call, you have a lower level of CCPM and so on and so forth. And each call is that for a separate placement geo or is it just overall? Yeah, you must divide it between ad format, country, and then, I mean, an operative system, of course. So let's say you have Candy Crush, iOS, rewarded video, United States. So you have a waterfall. And then you have, like, Candy Crush, the same, but instead of United States, you have India or Brazil. So you have a different setup for each country or group of country if they have, like, kind of similar ECPMs. Right. How many waterfalls do you recommend developers set up? Or if that is the wrong question, how should they think about this? Yeah, like you can have as many as you want, but uh, sometimes it becomes crazy while optimizing because if you have like a lot of waterfalls and you have a lot of other formats, uh, it becomes a mess. And if it's like a one-man team that could be like a one-app developer that is creating their games and they have like no time for... Uh, for this stuff, I would just group in tiers. Maybe United States goes separated and then yeah. the English speaking markets, then I uh, kind of tier one European markets and right. Latin America together, then Southeast Asia together, then right. the rich Asian countries or Japan plus Korea. So depending on where do you have the traffic from, if most of your traffic is coming from, let's say Russia, then you yeah. should have like a waterfall specifically for this country and one waterfall for each country and ad format. So I think that's the, the correct way. And right. also uh, trying to add ECPM targets that we said before. It is a must if you want to get the most out of each ad impression. I mean, in bigger organizations where they have like a five-team ad monetization guys or maybe bigger publishers, it is obviously this is happening and with a level of accuracy that it's really impressive. But if we talk to medium-sized sub-developers, it is not always the case. And there's like people that they simply don't care. But like, why wouldn't you take like an extra thousand bucks per month? If you can just optimize it on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, depending on, on the time that you have. But at least if you set it up, then you have the warranty that at least you're going to make more money than if you just use one supply partner or just a mediation in in autopilot. Right. So it's almost like you look at the volume of impressions and you look at your target ECPM ECPM level in different years, then you set up, okay, how many waterfalls do I need to have? Yep. And just so I understand, let's just say the first call, you set $10 ECPM for rewarded video, U.S., does that have to be one single supply source or can multiple supply sources fill that inventory? Yeah. So if it was like a programmatic thing, uh, all would compete for the same. But given that it's a waterfall, uh, you need to set up three ECPM targets per supply source. So if you have, just to make it simple, uh, Facebook on its network, AdMob and Unity Ads, you need to set like three ECPM targets for these three networks. So you would have, let's say, maybe in the United States is Facebook audience network first with 25, then comes AdMob with 22, then comes Unity with 21, then again comes Facebook, then again comes AdMob, then Unity, then the process goes over again. And then if nobody has made this request, then it goes to the normal waterfall, like the auto mode. So right. the mediation decides who deserves this impression. 
Right. So the one that's bidding at 25 gets first sort opportunity to serve the impression. Yes. That is still, con- and if not, the second one does. Yep. Right. And the first person's call, that's the first call in the waterfall. The second one's the second call, third's the third call. None of the three do, then it goes to the fourth call. Exactly. But each call represents one network. One so, network and one ECPM target. One network and one ECPM target. Okay, that makes sense. And this is a hypothetical question, right? You just described, okay, for Facebook, you have a ECPM target of 25, and maybe AppLevin, you have 23. What happens if AppLevin has an impression that comes in at 26? Yeah. Uh, does it get first bid? Yeah, what happens? Yeah, so that's like the routine of the ad monetization manager. So yeah. they need to analyze what is the fill rate and ECPM of each instance of the right. network. So if right. you say, let's say this case. So Facebook audience network has a fill rate of 1% at $25, but then the second call is uploading with 24 and right. they fill uh, 50% just to make it like very right. cool. So a smart ad monetization manager would say, okay, these guys are showing me that they have room for right. uh, either deal more or potentially make more money for me. So what I would do, like in the testing round, is compare how yeah. much I make if I put uploading first and then I put a, even a higher floor, let's say to 27 or to right. 30 or 35 or whatever right. the, the level that you want to set. And then analyze what is the fill rate at that ECPM right. target. And that's the way you optimize the, the waterfall. Like at the end of the day, right. how much are you making per ad impression? Right. So that's an important trade-off because you could set your ECPM floor at $100, but you probably get 50 impressions and you're just not making any money. There's always the trade-off between impressions and the fill rate. Are there other metrics that you recommend, um, uh, you know, an ad monetization manager look at on an ongoing basis to optimize the waterfall to evaluate the health of the monetization stack? Yeah. So first of all, I would not look into these parameters. I would rather see the ARP DAO as the key metric, like average right. revenue per daily active user as the key metric to look at if we talk about ad monetization, because ECPM or field rate per se doesn't mean anything. So you need to maybe like a 1% uh, field rate is, you could say is low, but if 1% with an ECPM floor of uh, 2 million, could be a lot of money instead of having a 2% with an ECPM floor of 20, because you will be getting more revenue. And okay. the metric that you should look at is the ARPDAO instead of the fill rate right. and the ECPM uh, because people normally just say, okay, my ECPM is that, so I just uh, pay attention to the ECPM and the fill rate. But at the end of the day, what matters is the ARPDAO because uh, it is tied to the LTV of your users, right. and that's the metric that you should be looking at. Definitely. I think that's a useful reminder for people to keep their eye on the big picture because it's easy to be fixated on just the ECPM or just the fill rate. Yeah. And how do the different ad placements play into this? For one example I can think of is if there's an interstitial placement, uh, that could be filled by a video or an interstitial banner. How do you recommend ad monetization managers think about prioritizing different placements? 
that's uh that's kind of a a deep question so yeah. it depends on how the app or the game is designed and ideally yeah. the ads must be part of the core loop so that means it could uh eventually add some value to the user experience but it'll be depending on the like on the economics and the content pipeline of the games because that's not always the case because like you said like there are uh not only rewarded videos but also interstitial that uh, are not decided by the users when they want to see these kind of ads so it is on developers hand to say when and how often they show an interstitial so if you have like a a game with a, a small content pipeline the recommendation would be try to be as aggressive as possible with the with the ads because otherwise you won't monetize as good the users whereas yeah. other kind of general let's say if we take hyper casuals versus an rpg or a real time strategy like hyper casuals like due to the like the simplicity of their mechanics and their content pipeline they cannot afford not to show ads or not to be aggressive because otherwise like their user acquisition won't be profitable and uh on the other hand like a real time strategy or an rpg or an, or a game with a with a bigger content pipeline where users can actually stay longer in like in day 30 retention could be higher uh you don't need to to place interstitials or banners because they have like a higher percentage of paying users so they can buy in apps but also include kind of uh, rewarded videos or maybe like an offer wall so these are like non intrusive ad formats and it is only upon user consent uh if they want to see an ad right. or not so it depends like pretty much on the genre uh and the retention metrics just to try to make financially sense the the ecosystem yeah right and i think that's also a useful reminder for developers that an ad monetization strategy should be a function of the game's overall content pipeline as you said right because yeah. if it's super hyper casual people are going to churn out very soon no matter what they can't afford to you know not be aggressive right? but yes mm-hmm. there's one thing there because i've seen like some developers that are trying to get into the hyper casual world yeah but uh they are let's say they love games and they want to produce like a good yeah. user experience and i say okay you cannot do both so yeah. you you can do hyper casual and pretend not to show ads because you won't be profitable ever ever yeah so yeah. in order to try to maximize your efforts uh you should treat the genre with the rules so right. if we take like the idol genre there's like a lot of people that builds the game around the concept of rewarded videos yeah instead of anything else like they they think like how can i get people to watch more rewarded videos and they yeah. make the game out of this so i think one example of of this is future play yeah. uh a game developer from finland they say in in couple press notes and i think in conferences as well that they build the games around this particular element this is rewarded video so uh, they're like okay let's take rewarded video as a format and build games around that interesting certainly something that could be worth diving into on a different episode and you know you briefly touched on this but how do you recommend thinking about ad monetization strategy and how it impacts retention and monetization 
Like for instance, so if you're showing interstitials, I imagine users clicking on that and going out of the game, that's going to hit your retention numbers, yeah. but it's also going to make you money. Uh, but if it hits your retention numbers, they're probably not going to make, buy an IAP. How should a developer think about this trade-off? Yeah, so, well, there are, like, a couple ways to, like, to think about it, because if you have ads within your game, yeah. chances are that the, your users can turn because yeah. either they don't like, like, the fact of seeing ads because it could be intrusive, but they could also turn because somebody has, like, a cool game or a cool app, so yeah. they click on the ad, install the game, and discover that it's uh, amazing and they like it more, so then they don't play your game anymore. And yeah. these uh, turn, of course. Yeah. So that usually happens when there's like a competitor advertising within a concrete game. And there's like uh, kind of two sides of the coin. There are studios that they blacklist their competitors like right off the bat. Like yeah. whenever they launch the game, even prior to launching, they say, I don't want this, 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 and this yeah. title to be for my users. Yeah. So, but I think the correct way to like to see or to consider this kind of churn because of competitors, it is looking at I am making more money because they are advertising or not. Right. So you need to look at this churn versus revenue ratio. And I, I can have like a good example here because in one of the projects I worked, we we saw like our ECPM like going like crazy high, like from 45 to 80 on average, like on a couple of days or uh, I think it was for a period of, of a week, and then we realized like our retention in that country where we had the these crazy CPMs was dropping, and then we discovered it was because like a competitor or a game with the same general as ours was advertising and was making our users turn to their game. Right. But, and like our first thought was like, okay, let's blacklist these fuckers. But then we said, okay, why should we blacklist them if we are making a lot of money just because of yeah. the ECPM that they are giving us because their CPI bid is like really, really strong. And at the end of the day, like our users are making them money. So we analyzed this, uh, this ratio and realized that it was actually profitable for us letting yeah. them advertise. And that's something like developers should uh, look into. It's not an easy thing to look, uh, but there are like some vendors in the industry that they can actually provide uh, these kind of insights. So yeah. it, it is good to like to take a look at it if you are making a lot of money based on ad revenue. So you need to see, okay, it is profitable for me to let these users go in exchange of a high CPM. And I think like for me, that I'm a marketer, a business owner, so it is like, I don't care. I want to make more money. I don't care if my competitors actually advertise on my game. Like, yeah. they are making me more money. Yes. Okay. Take my yeah. users. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's like trading. So you need to trade them, like, on the most expensive way you can. So if yeah. it's profitable for you, like, why not? And then of the second vision of this retention versus ad thing, it is trying to like to analyze what is the impact of the, especially the intrusive ad formats like interstitials and banners, what, like, if they hurt retention or not, and what are they producing financially in exchange. So right. let's say if you lost, uh, like, uh, 3% in day one retention because you are showing a lot of interstitial or your interstitial frequency is really high, but in exchange, your ARP DAOs are 30% higher yeah. Like, 
why wouldn't you be like even more aggressive or as aggressive? But yeah. uh, considering that you need to find the balance between losing retention and making more money. And for me personally, more money weights more. Um, there's there's people that say like, okay, I don't want to produce bad experience, but again, like if we are here to make money, we should take the money. On the other hand, they could also produce like bad reviews. Yeah. So uh, most of the hypercastles bad reviews, it is there's a lot of ads, there's a lot of ads, spam, 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 blah blah blah. So if you if your rating overall goes below four, then could have effects to the ASO as well. Yeah. So at the end of the day. Uh, like a complex thing, but I think, uh, the right way to, like, to approach it is just test it. So yeah. you should be, you should be able to test any kind of variable that, uh, is related to making more or less money. Indeed, indeed. As you said, it's important to keep your eye on the big picture and just say, oh, this is my competitor not doing it. Yeah. Right? But it's like, what is your ultimate goal? And I would 100% agree that there's always going to be a trade-off between retention and monetization, right? And, uh, you know, there's no one single answer, but you need to figure out what's going to meet your eventual goals. Jorge, this has been incredibly instructive. Uh, I've learned a ton, uh, this, and thank you for going into everything in ad monetization in so much depth and detail. And thank you for being a guest on the Mobile User Acquisition Show. Thank you very much for inviting me, and it's been my pleasure, and I hope like somebody can get two things out of this and, and actually improve their, their businesses, so that'd be awesome, and congratulations for this uh, show. Uh, it is always very instructive with knowledgeable people, so I'm very proud to be part of it, and thank you very much again uh, for inviting me. Talk to you soon. Wonderful. Thank you for listening to the Mobile User Acquisition Show. If any of this was helpful or instructive, I would love for you to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcast fix. This podcast takes a ton of time, effort, and love to produce, and I deeply value every review and every piece of feedback that you share. Thank you for listening, and I will look forward to sharing our next episode soon.